0: If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended... For adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids this is the meat eater podcast coming at you shirtless severely bug bitten and in my case underwearless the meat eater podcast you can't predict anything presented by first light creating proven versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt first light go farther stay longer Okay, everybody coming uh coming coming uh to you perched high above the beautiful Pacific Ocean. Wonderful view here. Thank you. With Kimmy Werner, Seth Morris, Howdy. Danny Bolton, and Ryan Hello. Callahan. Danny has a first little uh just has a first little thing to titillate everybody. Did we talk when you were on the show before, did we talk about what you did for a living?
1: Um, real briefly. Hit hit that again. I find this endlessly fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, so we train some military special forces guys and some other government agencies, um, off-road driving, off-road driving technique, and then a lot of recovery stuff. So a lot of work with the winches, um, a lot of work with just towing each other out if they needed to use tow straps or whatnot. And then also filling them in on how to fix stuff, kind of giving them the confidence and wrenching on their own vehicles. Um, a lot of guys have that kind of personal desire to do for their own vehicles too, but if we break an axle or something or blow a differential out there we get them in there we get them involved and then it just gives them a chance to kind of understand that whole process and see how how simple it really can be um if you kind of know what you're doing and just try to build that confidence in them so if some something happens to them out in the field a lot of times they'd just be leaving that vehicle if it was a dire situation but once you're down to one vehicle that's all you got so um Do you guys train in the same vehicles they use? We do. uh, This next trip that we're going out, they're bringing out some of their own military vehicles. So I'll just be riding in one of those. Um, They're called the 1.1s. So we'll we'll train in their vehicles. And then a lot of times they'll get, like Toyota Hiluxes, and they'll get an array of vehicles because sometimes they want to blend in wherever they're going. So they get some... Pretty janky stuff, from what I've seen. Some pictures of sometimes. So just kind of giving them uh, a good feeling of off-road mobility stuff and what they can be capable of. A lot of it is just building confidence mm-hmm. in them. Is so that got, oh. is
2: that what you want, Danny, to hit or was it the coffee roasting that you were more interested <laughs> in?
1: No, vehicle driving. Oh, okay. yeah, good.
2: Just making sure. But you're, you're tangled up
1: in the coffee business. I'm tangled up in all kinds of stuff. Um, (laughs) My family has a construction company. So I grew up working construction, Um, a lot of heavy equipment, running bulldozers or excavators or whatnot. And then also my dad had a ranch property that he bought. And one year they were slow and he didn't, you know, the the construction was slow. So he's like, Hey, let's keep these guys busy and plant a coffee field. So when I was a kid, 10 11 years old we had to plant a bunch of these coffee trees down in a nursery next to our house let them grow for a year and then we took them up to the farm and planted them um, up at the farm when i was 12 or 13 and it takes a couple years for those coffee trees to really start producing but the first couple years it did produce they ended up winning first place in a cupping competition so then it was like oh okay like we got we have something here so it kind of snowballed from there you know website coffee shop our whole own milling because my dad's really hands-on and wants to see the whole process. So bought all the milling equipment. I ran the dry mill for a long time and the wet mill. So the wet mill is when the coffee comes off the farm, it's got to get the skin off it washed and then dried so that it's shelf stable, Dried to a certain temperature, um, not temperature moisture content so that it doesn't mold. And then from there, you sort it again so that you have all the same size coffee beans. Mm-hmm. So when you roast it, it's like putting cookies in the oven, right? Like if you got small ones and big ones. The big ones aren't going to be done by the time the small ones are, are burnt. So you want to get all the same size beans, all the same density. So it's a couple of machines that I'd have to run for that. And it was cool because that was mainly during the winter. I would do that work. So I'd come home, work three, four months in the winter, and then I could go travel and, and do work wherever else I was traveling, doing a bunch of automotive stuff too um
2: and that heavy machinery uh experience kind of led into your driving too right because you got to make your own uh dirt bike courses yes. and stuff
1: yeah it did so when we were kids when well, you know we we're blessed to have equipment so anytime it wasn't being used we'd build our own dirt bike track stuff so we built some pretty crazy ass jumps that i probably wouldn't let my own kid jump you know and um that led into working in the automotive industry uh of company came over here and wanted to build a course for cause they sponsored Iron Man that we have here, the World Championships in Kona. And they wanted some people to be able to drive over some bumps and stuff. And they called my dad and he was like, hey, none of my employees built that track. My son built it, you know, and his cousins. Um so they called me and I was 16 at the time. And so I was like, yeah, no problem. Like, sounds easy. And I showed up and I was real short too at that time. I like growth spurt later on and that guy was just questioning me big time and i i knew we had the skills i told my cousin like hey let's get this done we had three days to build it we built it in one day (laughs) and the guy's like all right these guys are legit so the next year right out of high school i went working 11 i went six months on the road um for a, a certain car company tour that we did and built tracks all over the u.s And that's kind of what led me to the mainland. Like I was born and raised here. And then right out of high school, I was over there. And they didn't really want to fly me back and forth. So I was couch surfing. I'd go to my aunts and stuff in California. And ended up in Gardnerville, Nevada for a little while, which is by Lake Tahoe. So that brought me to the mainland for about four or five years till the recession hit in 2010. 2009, I moved home and just started working construction. Because the whole car company, right? The whole car industry dried up. Mm Mm-hmm. But during that time in the mainland, we raced off road. We built our own race truck because um, we knew how to weld and everything. So, me and my cousin f- fabricated our own race truck, built the whole roll cage and everything, and did real well doing that desert racing, like the Baja stuff. And then, that's kind of all that's kind of led into the military stuff. I, I met a friend on a Toyota photo shoot that's like, dude, I got to get you into this because we got to go camping for four days. I need someone who can help cook, it's not going to complain. Um, you know, about being cold or tired or whatever. Cause some days we're out there, you know, middle of the night with night vision on trying to fix something. So I was like, yeah, I'm in. So that kind of got me into the whole military thing, which is awesome. Cause with those guys, I, you know, you can really be yourself. Some of the corporate stuff, you got to be careful what you say, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's and like be a certain way. But with these guys, um, they have a lot of the similar mindset as us and just enjoying like the struggle. So, it's been a pleasure. Hmm. Yeah, so makes, makes you think I got in the wrong business, man. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and I've done some like hunting, guiding, and stuff. And I do. You know. I teach class for that outfit called Taking Her Slow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, here's how I like to drive down trails. Yep. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's called using your binoculars. I just kind of oh, creep wow.
1: along. <laughs> well, that, that, that's a big part of it. Like these guys, it's the same as off-road racing. Like most off-road racing, the finishing rate is 50 percent. So 50% of the people who start the race, you know, some races are a little bit better, but a lot of people who start the race don't finish. So we teach these guys like go fast when you can, but there's certain areas you cannot go fast. You have to take it easy on the vehicles. And we're talking like inches. If you're off on the wrong line, you're not making it up an obstacle. But if you just take your time, back it up a little bit, use the right technique. We teach them a lot of driving with both feet, you know, left foot on the brake, right foot on the gas a lot of open differential stuff. Um, One tire will get up in the air and those differentials are lazy. They'll send all the power to the easiest one to turn. So you're using that left foot brake to kind of modulate that and still get traction. And that way it keeps it too from getting a bunch of wheel spin. And that's where you start breaking axles and differentials because you get all that wheel spin, all that torque. And then all of a sudden, if you go over something and it gets traction again, all that traction has got to go somewhere. And it, that's where you start snapping stuff, drive shafts and stuff like that. So, hmm. yeah, it's, it's fascinating, fun. man. Yeah, I'd like to take that
3: course. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd Absolutely. love to have you guys out.
1: I'd love to have you guys out. We'll we'll plan a trip. Yeah, we get a couple vehicles together and um, we'll
3: take Steve's truck.
1: Yeah, we can take Steve's truck, or we can take your own vehicles. We can take our vehicles. We'll take both because we have all the tools and stuff set up too. Um, we'll make sure we have the right stuff, and we can even come scout some stuff in Montana. Because a lot of our, a lot of hunting, right? You end up in some pretty crazy places. Yeah, I'm sure you have stories of being stuck somewhere. And- Especially hunting in Sonora, man. Mm.
0: It's like a proving ground for vehicles. Okay. Uh, we're gonna come out here anyway. I haven't contacted them yet, but there's a. We're gonna have like all company dive, not all company. We're gonna try to get a private, free dive, one and two. Yeah. Safety, rescue, all that shit. Yep. Lined up. I haven't contacted the dude yet, but he's mm-hmm. in Hawaii. Yeah. And um, so if we come out for that, we can do vehicle training, too. Love that. You want to go to our dive thing with us, Kim? Well, I
4: would love to. Yeah. And I think that's great. You guys are going to do that.
0: You could be like, that's not how I do it. <laughs> we
2: should round it out and throw <laughs> a... But what would you
4: do if there were sharks?
2: <laughs> throw like a woofer course in there, too. Just knock a bunch of stuff out in yeah, two yeah. weeks. That'd
0: be great. Driving, medical.
2: Yeah. No, like Driving, diving, and medical. Uh.
0: Okay, got to move down the line here.
2: Oh, do you, you know what? Did you see this
0: article? Uh, do you know the actor, Nick Offerman? He plays yeah. like on Parks and Rec. It's kind of like Parks and Rec is kind of like the Goodwill bin of The Office. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like they had The Office and someone's like, wish we had more stuff like that, right? And so they came up with that. So the, the dude, there's a guy that plays kind of a blowhard on there. Like he plays like a libertarian, Nick Offerman.
2: Oh, that's, oh yeah. Okay, yeah, I got you, yeah.
0: He writes this thing in Outside Magazine. And I used to be on the masthead at Outside Magazine. So it's funny, someone sends me this article he wrote called Nick Offerman's Call of the Candy Ass. And when I saw the headline, I was like, he stole my dad's word. Because I've never heard anybody but me and my old man describe someone as a candy ass. Naturally, I read the article. And it turns out he's talking about the podcast. He's talking about this podcast. Oh, no way. Well, he says how he says he's listened to a podcast. He doesn't name the podcast. This is a recent episode. And a guest we had, and I think it was John Mualem, was talking about Throw, Henry David Throw. And I pointed out, I, I, cause there's an the article, I can't remember who wrote the article, hacking on Throw. About how like Thoreau's like he went to like live in this cabin, you know. Yes. But it was like he's going to his mom's house every other day, right? Right. It, like it wasn't. This right. writer kind of looked at like how Thoreau presented what his reality was.
2: You know, that was Brent West because we were talking about Maine and Thoreau, and you were like, Pff, Oh, there was. Ass. Yes. Okay. So, yeah.
0: Because like, so there's this thing like Thoreau's time in the woods is understood to be a way. But there was like you know, there's been like exposes about like what Throw is actually about. Like he's a big mama's boy, and he he went to. So I said Throw's a candy ass. So this guy Offerman writes about this podcast host me, okay, <laughs> and how he upset he is about what I said about Throw, and then he goes on like you know this kind of like classic like the outdoors is for everybody, and it's not your position to judge. Right. Yeah. And who are you to, right? All this stuff. But then he also, it's weirdly like he like weirdly contradicts himself. It's mostly like a, a bike riding story. He like, but he sets it up about this mean podcast host and then closes with a mean podcast host, and it's about him riding his bike around. Uh and he says he contradicts himself because he says how Throw, in his words, Throw had um He says, I powerfully admire Thoreau, but I wasn't angered. Instead, I wondered if this guy was aware of the naturalist's storied toughness. This is a quote, an Offerman quote. His inner circle of friends knew him to hike for many miles, often with wet feet. And he goes on, and, so this is Offerman on Thoreau. He says, Thoreau had little use for those who couldn't keep up, which would lead me to believe that here Thoreau has little use for those who can't keep up, which leads me to believe that he's a bully. Or is the outdoors for everyone? Not in Thoreau's view, because he has little use for those who can't keep up, according to Offerman. And we get down the page, and Offerman then has this to say about, I sense that that demeaning podcast hosts and cyclist-hating drivers come from a culture of bullying and aggression. One that so often misunderstands our need for outdoor adventure. It's it's like he's hanging out in the discussions they have at my kid's elementary school. Bullying and aggression. It's like, you'd think a dude, an actor, who makes his living being funny would better understand like a joke.
2: Uh, (laughs) Well, here's something that you need to know about this fella. He's got... He spent all of his time being a, a woodworker. And from what I've seen and kind of read, he, he's like a uh, New England style, kind of a traditional woodworker. Yeah, He's got his own woodworking shop. I think he's got some employees these days. And they, they turn out stuff. And I want to say that he built either canoes or kayaks or something like that. Good. And I, I would venture to expound that um, a man who builds a hand-carved canoe is going to be real tight with Thoreau. Mm. To go for a paddle, as they say in the main I get it. but like right.
0: bullying and aggression to make a joke about Thoreau. We asked him to come on the show, and his person said, Nick is not available.
2: Yeah, and Thoreau's dead, so you can't get that <laughs> Hey, I hey, think there's, hey, a li- hey, there's, hey. there's a line There's a lion in there. Bullying about, and aggression, uh, beads of water sliding off the back of your canoe paddle, like, like bullying and aggression should. I, I like that he listens to the show. Oh, I loved his character on on uh, Parks and Rec. That's one of the the few. I, I bet I've seen more Parks and Rec episodes than I ever did the Office episodes. Um, Maybe he's a wannabe hunter. Uh, and he was in that. He was in that uh, uh, Sam Elliott movie. That uh, got a bunch of awards, I think. Where Sam Elliott's like the kind of hack cowboy actor that gets a second shot. And hmm. you ever see that one? No. Real good. Offerman w- was a great character in that.
0: I didn't know who it was until I realized it was the the blowhard from Parks and Rec. I wouldn't even. I should write it I should it a, write a What's that? I don't. I, I'm no,
2: not that's sure not if the he word was a blowhard. It. I don't think so. But he was just like. Uh, he was a, a, a well defined character compared to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like
0: that. Uh, here's a good piece of mail. What do you think about that, Kimmy?
4: I mean, I do think you can be demeaning sometimes, but that I'm example demeaning? sometimes, yes. But <laughs> I think tell in me that, well, like when yesterday you were being very demeaning towards stand up paddling and saying that anybody who's <laughs> into that. Um, you just wonder why they would ever get into it and what the heck they gave up to get into it, or maybe they just didn't do anything ever before, and that's why they got into it.
0: You thought that was demeaning. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, give me some more. Is that really the word for it, or was it just like a...
4: Judgmental.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell me some more.
4: Um, Skiing. I always hear you putting down skiers. My whole family skis. Yep, I know.
0: <laughs> I know uh,
4: just anything like
0: Well, one, else, one else, something uh, else I'm demeaning about is what? any kind of uh, when your kids are in something that makes them have to be somewhere on weekends
4: yeah I overheard you talking about that yesterday too and, and saying don't play any sports on the weekends because nobody's going to go we're not going <laughs> to go <laughs> I just walked away I was away. talking to my little boy <laughs> yeah I know
0: well, I'll have you know that my wife's starting to talk some sense into him. <laughs> so I was actually talking, and she said I'd failed utterly <laughs> because he just dug his heels in. So he's
2: he's enrolled in weekend sports? It's up in the air. <laughs> um, Kimmy, what's your parental position on that? On I don't know. Sports?
4: I was definitely listening and thinking, what am I going to do when Buddy's of that age? Because I would feel the exact same way where
0: like eight Saturdays in a row you need to go down to this place
4: yeah and my dad was the same way with me where we didn't get into any sports that took him away from like fishing and diving and camping and stuff
2: tell me more demeaning things I'm gonna try to change my ways those
4: are the ones that came to my mind
2: right away um just one example from each day it'd be fine what about uh the team pets
0: Oh, that I don't like domestic animals. Like that, my little that I don't my like. little pomeranian Chihuahua yeah, you see, dog. You guys, are, here's the problem. Yeah, we're gonna move on in a minute. But here's the problem. Here's what I don't like about what you're doing. So <laughs> you have I'm, too I'm, many I'm examples. Demean, <laughs> no, I'm gonna demean. I'm gonna demean you guys from it. This is gonna apply to me too. <laughs> Let's thing, let it so. in. Uh, everyone has opinions about stuff. Yeah. Okay. Everyone has opinions about stuff. Um, but I I find that when if someone has an opinion and they and they like ex like express it emphatically or or really express it that b- starts to make people uncomfortable right so mm-hmm. me saying that like domestic dogs aren't as interesting to me as wild dogs because i don't understand what they do all day yeah but a but a coyote busts his ass all day That's just more interesting to me for sure but then somebody like well that's demeaning to domestic dogs yeah
1: Everybody has an opinion, right? But a lot of people just don't say what they're thinking or it's just like one little blip and then you don't get the full story behind why they feel that way.
0: Yeah. My wife would be like, you always think you're right. I'm like, do you often think you're wrong? When you're you're arguing with me?
4: I think the difference between (laughs) that though is everybody has opinions and that is absolutely true. But I think that when you can understand that so many truths all exist at the same time, and so your opinion is just one of many, many truths. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think it sounds a little less demeaning, but if you say your opinion like this is the truth and this is the only truth, and everybody else got it wrong, then um, it sounds a little demeaning.
0: That's a hard, well, hard look, pill to swallow. Let sometimes. me counter. I'll counter. Okay, here's a way to look at it throws dead. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> okay, <be thrilled. laughs>
2: so like throws he was dead. A mama's boy
0: <laughs> now. So, here's, we're talking about a, a dead writer, okay? okay. Thrill's dead. Like, I'm not gonna hurt Thrill's, like, book sales right. to high school students, okay? Stand up paddle boarding is a, a, a luxury recreational activity. It's not like, it's like, a, it's like, like many of the things I'm to, into, it's kind of a nothingness. My feelings about domestic dogs aren't gonna have any impact on pet ownership in America. I have a domestic dog. So maybe I'm like goofing on like fairly harmless things that don't really matter. Okay, so if if I'm like goofing on stand-up paddleboarding, it's like, am I really, am I really uh, like creating trouble for someone? No. Or a dead guy?
4: I mean, I don't, I'm not bothered by your, how you can be demeaning sometimes. I think that, it's fine. You right. know?
0: But yeah. it's still demeaning. Dude, I'm not going to demean anything anymore. I'm going to start being one of those Set guys. The that, start, Set the watch. I'm going to start. If we can get watch. through this podcast. I'm going to start being one of those guys that just likes everything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's uh, funny. When you said, I'm going to be that guy who likes everything, the dog emerged from underneath the couch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where's that dog? <laughs> Jesus, <Jeez>, oh, <come laughs> the Okay. I think
3: it's
1: good you have opinions.
4: Yeah. I and
1: like you're it. bound
4: to hurt people's feelings and that's yeah. fine.
1: Yeah, more people need to share their opinions because people are getting thin skin. Well, that's why he, he, let me back up. Mm-hmm. Before we even talking about this, I
0: asked Nick Offerman to come on the on the show. And we got like had I had some people, you know, new people that knew him, and uh his uh scheduler like blew it off. So my instinct was to have him on the show and laugh about throw. Yeah, that was his opportunity to share his opinion. Well, I thought it'd be fun. I even said like we'll talk about we'll talk about your books. Authors do real well on the show. And we'll talk about Thoreau, and it'll be fun.
2: He's not available. He's too covered in <laughs> sawdust thinking about his New England paddle. Probably in close proximity to his mom's house, Whatever. right, Steve? Um
0: Oh, a, guy, a prosecutor? I was given a hot tip for raising children that uh Ninja throwing stars are a riot. A prosecutor wrote in. A deputy, pro- He's a deputy prosecutor in Indiana. I wanted to let you all know, especially your Indiana listeners, that he calls them Chinese throwing stars, which I do remember some people call them ninja throwing stars. Some people call them Chinese throwing stars, even though I believe that's a Japanese, the Japanese word for them is uh, uh, a shuriken. Either way. I'm a deputy prosecutor in Indiana. I want to let you all know, especially Indiana listeners, that Chinese throwing stars are illegal in Indiana. See Indiana code 35475-12. Officer, this was made in Japan. A Chinese throwing star is defined as a throwing knife, throwing iron, or other knife-like weapon with blades set at different angles. It is a Class C misdemeanor, punishable by up to 60 days in jail. He then points out, I've been a prosecutor for seven years and I've never heard of this crime being charged. (laughs) I would love to know how it got on the books. I was saying that when I was trying to find Ninja Throwing Stars, for my kids, they don't sell them on Amazon. I had to go to a Ninja Supply warehouse to get (laughs) mine. An online Ninja Supply warehouse to get my Throwing Stars. On the dark web. A shuriken. Probably put you on some sort of list. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's another good one. Guy wrote in. On our uh, recent episode, if there's lead in the air, there's hope in the heart. um, We debated a lot of feedback on this one. We had on Chris Parrish of the Peregrine Fund, and we talked a lot about lead ammunition versus uh, copper ammunition, and we talked about uh, lead toxicity, lead in the environment, effects on condors, on and on and on. It was a very good conversation, I thought.
2: I was going to ask you what you thought of old Chris there. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah.
0: I thought he did a great job. Yeah, he's he's a smart fella. I had pointed out my, uh, oh, I'm going to, de- you don't mind if I demean myself, do you? I often talk about how I'm real bad at basic arithmetic. That's okay. demeaning. <laughs> um, and I said, how would one ever figure out uh? The density, if there's 118,000 lead pellets per acre, and I made a comment that like I'd never be able to figure out what that looked like, Well, I figured it out for us. An acre is 43,560 square feet. So, 118,000, which is the number of lead pellets per acre in some of these areas they've surveyed. Sean brought that up on the Sean's Duck Report. Divided by forty-three thousand five hundred sixty comes out to, for every square foot, two point seven. So round up to three. In uh, some of these, in uh, some of these waterfowl hunting areas, they're talking about they were finding, for every square foot. Look at the tiles on a floor, twelve-inch tiles. There'd be three pellets laying there. Pretty good density of pellets. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code MeatEater, okay, at TWC.Health slash MeatEater. Yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it a thousand times more. If you got a family and you got people that rely on you, you need to take life insurance seriously. And Policy Genius is the country's leading online insurance marketplace. So with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Your life insurance policy, you know, that you get at work, may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. Policy Genius gives you unbiased advice from a licensed expert support team. Now, this is super convenient, right? Because a lot of times, you know, something like life insurance, you're just going to put it off because you're like, when will I ever have time to do that? And I don't even know who to talk to about it. Well, this helps you do it online. Okay, again, you're comparing options from top companies. All right? Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with PolicyGenius. Head to PolicyGenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. For all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater What was the, uh, the math equation
3: that we were talking about? And I said we should mention that on the podcast so someone
0: can figure it out. Oh, here's a good one. <laughs> This 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 actually has this came about from my conversation about Kimmy. I still don't remember. I'm having a hard is. time even saying thoughts anymore because I, like I, like <laughs> oh
3: knowing Kimmy thinks I'm
0: demeaning. <laughs> uh-huh. Are you gonna be like come like BFF with Nick Offerman and talk about how bad I am?
4: No, I I <laughs> I think that we can all be demeaning sometimes. But when you just said that you're not, and then you asked what my opinion about that was, I just had to say like I definitely think you can be demeaning. Um, which is, is fine.
0: Do you think it's demeaning to call someone demeaning?
2: Not if they ask for it. Not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so huh, that's just being a friend. Yeah. Uh, I was explaining to Seth
0: how I've become, uh, how I have become, a, like my best day black cod fishing was my first day black cod fishing. And it's one of the few things in life where the more I do it, the worse I get. Like, you usually expect in life you're trained to expect this sort of like experience, right like as experience increases sort of like your adeptness or you know, yeah, you get better. It's you just get- like a, like a basic thing that happens in life. But with black cod fishing or sable fish fishing, my uh, I get worse the more I do it. And I was talking about needing to get out of my rut on sable fish fishing. And I mentioned how your father, when I asked him why he's so successful fishing black cod in southeast Alaska, he laid out for me his formula. Oh, boy. You don't want me to mention it? No,
4: I don't know what it is.
0: Well, he uses those little Hawaiian chum bags mm-hmm. that deliver chum down to 1,300 feet of water, which I bought two of. Yep. And then realized in the time it took me to order them, I could have made some with a needle and thread and a pair of blue jeans. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't have one in my hands yet. The mucky dog bags. So like the palu. Yeah. Is palu? Yeah, pa- you guys word for pa- chum. Palu. Yeah. Palu means chum. They just call it like a palu chum bag, but in print in quotes, so it's like Hawaiians and and Americans understand it, right? You know what I mean? Yep. That's a Hawaiian word, palu. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, it can mean like barf or. Oh chow. really? Like it's like, like mushed stink. up. Yeah. Okay.
0: So they have it described as like a palu and then chum, one of them being in the parentheses bag, a two. He did that. Also, he mentioned that they will set an anchor in 1,400 feet of water. Yeah. And tie off on that. Mm-hmm. So that you're holding a spot, and when you're dropping chum, you're not drifting away from the chum. And then they wait and bring them into them.
4: Yeah, and the theory behind that which i was told is um that the younger black cod the smaller black cod you know like a lot of fish species are like more frisky more aggressive more assertive and sometimes the bigger and fatter you get the more slow you are Mm -hmm. and so if you're constantly drifting or moving you're always going to be attracting the smaller fish whereas if you stay in one place it um, gives the big ones time to move in and start
0: biting. You know, when you said how the younger ones are friskier and the older ones get a little complacent. I'm
4: so demeaning.
0: No, oh. I was going to make, <laughs> I want you to know, I want you to know that I was going to say, I was going to say, I know some people like that, but I didn't.
2: Very good. Because it was so demeaning. <laughs> oh,
4: my God. So I
2: sat on that one, sat on it. But I bet uh, the the fishing part of that combo got your wheels turning though too, right? You're like, is it inching you towards the investment of dropping a a, well, a semi permanent buoy out there? Which brings around the math question.
0: And Seth, said, I bet you've talked about on the podcast. Someone to send you a very good explanation. You need a, some like when you set an anchor, you need some amount of scope for tide swing. Okay. So you
2: uh, better describe scope. Like,
0: well, you don't really, it depends on how big your weight is. What scope is, when you go to anchor a boat, scope is the angle of the line. Meaning, let's say you're anchoring a boat in 100 feet of water, and you, have, and you have exactly 100 feet of rope, or let's say 101 feet of rope, and you lower it down, anchor hits the bottom, you tie it to the boat, you're in 100 feet of water, you have 101 feet of rope, you have basically zero scope. When the, when the boat moves, it's going to clunk the anchor along.
2: And it can move for
0: tide or wind yep. or both sometimes. And scope is like your angle. So the more scope you have, the better your thing will hold and the less weight it takes to hold the object. And sometimes they'll anchor stuff where it's actually a 7 to 1. For every foot of depth, you have 7 feet. And you can have – and that anchor line is at a, at a very shallow angle as it runs through the water column and you just get better grip, especially with an Admiralty anchor that has those points on it, because they dig in. So I was wondering, if you went out to 1,400 feet of water and you're in an area with like a 25 foot tide swing and you drop an anchor and tie it to a buoy, how much, if it's if you know the exact depth, like let's say the exact depth is 1,400 feet of water, how much rope Do you need and then when you figure that the wind and the tide is moving that thing around it's actually imagine it throughout the course of a day it's going to make like a conical shape so at any given time how big is the diameter what sort of diameter are you swinging above the fixed point of the anchor so that if you drop chum down are you swinging a, a, a circle of like a hundred yard diameter why was Nick Offerman listening to the podcast
2: <laughs> are, are you swinging
0: are, are you swinging a
2: thousand yard yeah got... like how over the anchor are you yes yeah. like is it is it really beneficial to have that t- fixed point if you can't actually ever get to that fixed point because of Tides, winds, scope. And then to go back to the mechanical conversation, keep in mind this all was brought up while we were standing in line to like load the plane on the way over here to Hawaii. Um, What type of rope do you need or line do you need? Because I was talking about buying
0: some real shitty rope. And Cal pointed out, if you're going to go through all the hassle to set an anchor in 1,400 feet of water, why would it be shitty rope?
2: Right, like, yeah. don't you want it to be there the next day <laughs> after, after to, what would inevitably be a whole day to make this happen and there's an
0: added wrinkle I don't want to name names but I knew a person who set a chum bag in 300 feet of water and he was under the impression that it was, he was, it was illegal to do it so he stapled his he, he stapled his to a drift log which cal pointed out is like one benefit of a buoy is others can see it (laughs) and when you hit it it's soft (laughs) so this is not naming names stapled is to a drift log so that the the innocent passerby would just think it was a soggy drift log sitting barely above the surface uh and then, when he would, anytime he went crabbing, anytime he went shrimping, anytime he cleaned fish, he would put it in a biodegradable burlap sack. Put a rock in that sack, tie it off to the line, and Davy Crockett's locker. What's who's that guy? <laughs> Davy Jones. Jones's locker, right down to the bottom. <laughs> It's probably
2: got a nice little pile of rocks down there. Yeah. He's got a little reef, and it's full <laughs> yeah. of chum. Crockett ever see the ocean? That's a good. That's a good question. I'll have to look. That's a
0: question yeah. for Clay or Buddy yeah. Levy. So, oh, thing on Crockett. Do you know the Crockett? In Crockett's day, as a politician, as a congressman, there was two congressmen that got you know you fight like Trump and Hillary, right? Mm-hmm. It's tense. Well, these two political figures. Crockett's peers, these two political figures, it got like the debates got so intense and personal that at the end of the election, they, challenged, they, they, had, they agreed to have a duel. But duels were illegal in the state where they lived. So they traveled together to another state where it was legal to have a duel, where the guy that won the election then shot and killed the loser. And people want to talk about how politics is nasty
1: nowadays. Wait, so it wasn't a proper duel. It was whoever lost, you got shot, no matter what. No, they did the election. Yes. So it'd be like Trump and Hillary fight, 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 say
0: bad stuff about each other. Exactly. Afterward, Trump wins, Hillary loses. Yes. They then go to another country where it's legal. They they go to like (laughs) Afghanistan where it's legal to duel. Trump kills Clinton in the duel and then comes home and resumes his position. That was... Crockett's political era, and but people talk about how politics has gotten too nasty. Yeah. Any what was I
2: saying? No. Oh, David Jones's locker. And we want to get to the ask of. <laughs> yeah. Please write in. Oh,
0: and and then yes. and then I said this to my brother Danny. I said, but it's illegal to set a buoy. And Danny says, "Is it?" I feel that we think it's illegal to set a buoy because of the person with the drift log told us that, but they told us a lot of stuff.
2: The person with the drift log in <laughs> the salvage business,
0: that's, yeah. that's a joke. So but. it's a whole pile of questions like, uh, how? can you go out to your favorite spot and set a buoy in 1,400 feet of water in the state of Alaska and then leave it there indefinitely?
3: And, it and,
4: be and legal. if you
0: can, how much rope?
4: Yeah. What's the formula? And what's the
3: diameter of your circle at the top when you're tied off to it?
2: And what type of rope? Yeah because it's not something you want to go re, redo every year. And then if no. they do write in, and then if they could throw this in too, like, do they feel
0: that I'm demeaning? <laughs> <laughs> I was working killing on me, the... Dude. Uh, you tell how heavy it's weighing on I you. can tell. Especially when you turned on me there, man.
4: I did not turn on you. You asked me my opinion. I good. was
2: working on the anchor <laughs> system. You just said it's
4: good for everyone to have opinions.
2: Just at the right time. Right. Work on your timing. <laughs> I was working on the anchor system. The next old uh, refrigerator or, or freezer mm-hmm. after you drain all the nasty stuff out of it. Burn all, the,
0: burn all the stuff out of it.
2: Um, I wonder if you could just throw that thing in the boat, go out there with some quick dry cement and have that be your anchor.
0: Mm.
1: I got the anchor of all anchors for this purpose. I got oh, the nice. fridge for
2: you. <laughs> the thing you guys
1: got to think about is how you're getting this anchor off the boat. Well, Because that sucker's heavy.
0: Here's the other question I got. Well, no, yeah. I got like... I have an actual anchor that I want to use for this. Right now, it's anchoring my dock in place on one end, but I can replace that with a rock. Um, yeah, the other thing is, if you let out 1,400 feet of line that's spooled in the bow of the boat and it gets tangled halfway down, you are not happy. So I might
1: run it off a spool. Here's what you do. Run a broomstick through a spool. You take your float, right? You got this all calculated out. You got the exact amount of rope. huh. You float that float and you let all that rope out. Oh, yeah, I've seen guys great do this idea. Sport. That's a great idea. And then idea. you got your anchor and you go over your spot and you send. And that's some bitch is so heavy it's just going to drag that. Yeah.
3: Or you or you take an old skiff that you don't want anymore
1: and tie that to it. Yeah. Tow
3: it out there with the Anchor and the rope coiled nicely in it. Start
0: piling rocks in it. And then you sink that skiff with the anchor. Oh, the
3: and then problem, you got a
2: little structure down well, no, there. Here's Artificial the problem with that. Reef.
0: That thing is going to be so many miles away from the bullseye by the time it hits. That's true.
3: You'd have to pick a day with
0: little currents. There's guys that work for the Coast Guard that just set anchors. Yeah. Part of what's got my, uh, this on my mind is here, we, we went by buoys. Here they're in thousands and thousands of feet of water.
1: Yeah, it was fifteen thousand feet of water. Fifteen thousand feet of water. I wow. need to talk to that some bitch, <laughs> not to demean him. Yeah, <laughs> that feller. And then when you guys are fishing these buoys, you know, I know when we fish buoys here, the current's usually going one way, so you're kind of on that buoy and you're kind of fishing it one direction for hours. Um, so I don't know. Like you were asking about like that wind and the tide and the the current and everything. I wonder how often it's switching. Um. If it's switching, you know, every hour or whatever, if you can fish it solid for a couple hours where it's going one direction and you don't really have to worry about, yeah, it'll have a swing. So it's kind of hard to find. But as long as you know where that anchor point is, you know where the current's going, you can usually find that buoy to where it's at. And then you fish it for those couple hours while the current's, let's say, headed south. Then you're just fishing it while it's headed south. Yep. For, for that day, you're still dropping down your like Palu bag. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. Like per day, you'd fish it. You know, if it's heading north the next day, you'd be fishing it where it's heading north. And
0: oh, hold on, a we got to get back on track because this all came about with math problems. Mm-hmm. So the guy wrote in about the math, the 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 math around how much lead, like how much lead shot is out on the landscape in certain places. Now we got two more things. Um, a doctor wrote in, all fired up. That I was, uh, that I was not taking lead poisoning seriously enough. I disagree. I was pointing out, I pointed out only that he he wasn't listening carefully. He's like, no lead is good. That's why lead is like zero. Like zero is how much lead you should strive for in life. You say no lead is good. I was only I was pointing out that no one has found elevated lead levels in hunters elevated relative to their peers who are not consuming wild game. And I pointed out that when they did this thing where they went to like North Dakota and found lifelong consumers of wild game killed with lead shot and took their lead levels, their lead levels were lower than non-hunters who live in urban environments who are getting lead from soils contaminated by leaded, you know, from all those years of leaded gasoline, lead paint, on and on and on. Industrial lead pollution. I was never saying that I think lead is good to eat. I was just saying no one has shown a, a, a and, and like people act like it's there, but it's like, if it's there, send it to me. No one has shown. No one has definitively shown, and not even definitively, no one's kind of demonstrated that hunters are suffering from increased lead levels due to the consumption of wild game. It's just, it's. say what you want about lead, that's not a thing. And uh, he did say warm regards.
2: And and I I imagine you could demonstrate to folks that you're serious about lead because you probably, like myself as a youth, used to pack some uh, lead shot in your lip while you were re-rigging your rods and stuff like that. And you probably... Like myself, have quit doing that.
0: Yeah, I keep. Yeah. I would keep my split shot. Your water ice, gremlin ice fishing. I'd keep some split shot over on this side of my cheek and gum, and I'd keep my maggots on this bit of my cheek and gum.
2: <laughs> just like everybody. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and like we were talking about this the other day, steelhead fishing because you're like you get to one hole and it's deeper, the other hole not. You just keep a couple in your cheek and gum, for just so you can very quickly like rig for where you're at. Not only that, we used to go. Down, we had a gun range two miles from our house. We'd ride our bikes down to the gun range, put the flag out,
2: <laughs> and take a sifter and go sift the berm. For uh, non-gun range users, typically there's some sort of a signal that says folks are down range, which means do not shoot. Right, They're typically down there changing targets. Yep. But uh, the Ranello boys would put the flag out Saying, do not shoot, we're gonna go because sift because we're through.
0: sifting the berm. <laughs> we would sift the berm for bullet lead, go home, melt the lead in the garage, because my dad had gotten us all the stuff to pour. And we would pour sinkers. And I'm telling you, man, the thing about those homemade sinkers made with bullet lead is there's like alloys in that stuff. And like you go to the store and buy uh you go to the sporting store and buy lead and you go to bite it, it's nice and soft. And in fact, your tooth leaves a mark when you bite that lead onto the line. Our homemade sinkers, when you bit that lead onto the line, you'd hear your teeth crumble a little bit and you couldn't dent that shit. It was like, yeah. and they didn't seem to be as heavy. It was like kind of a weird deal, like homemade sinkers. But I would never let my kids do that. My brother Danny had a film jar full of mercury that we would get out and play with. That he'd collect, anytime he'd run across a the thermometer, he'd get the mercury out and we would like play with Danny's mercury.
4: I've done all so of like, that. So like, yeah,
0: awesome. Like, I'm not in any way like I I, I never wanted it to be that I'm like downplaying. I'm just saying, uh, you know, yeah, that's all. Uh, I don't I wouldn't let my I don't let my kids do stupid stuff that we didn't. I mean, we we did stupid stuff because people weren't really aware. My old man when he was in the army, they would give you cigarettes in your sea rations. It's like you you know, over time, right? You learn things over time. Here's another guy wrote about the lead thing. Now, this guy brings up a very valid point. Cal, I need you to be present for this. Oh, and doing this too, I want you to think about something. Okay. To Offerman's point, <laughs> can, if, is it even possible to bully a dead man?
2: Well, there's that How famous
0: line, like don't speak ill of the dead. But that, that's speaking ill of the dead. Can you bully a dead man?
2: No, no. You, I feel like you can't because they're can't. not alive. No. You're
3: certainly not going to give him a wedgie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Cram it right up into his
0: dry pelvis bone. Uh, uh, Yeah, it's really got in my head. It's tearing me up, dude. A final bit of lead thing, and this is a bad one. This is a tough one. He goes to point out, all this talk, about everyone in the hunting and fishing communities switching over to copper. Lead's so bad, you know. What? Let me give you a fact that would have given him a lot of ammunition. But I don't know if he's aware of it. If I was this guy writing this letter, not to demean him, I would have concluded how lead ammo is almost exclusively. So, we toured the Federal Ammo Factory. Guess where all the Federal's lead comes from? Recycled. Car battery. batteries. Yep, their lead comes from recycled car batteries. Yep, that's like a little-known fact. You go to the federal plant. It's like all of that lead yep. that they're producing in ammunition is not coming out of the ground. It's post-use coming out of
1: car batteries.
2: Yeah, it's something like ninety, high ninety percentage recycled. Which
1: is a lot because, yep. like, a car battery three to five years. And it's funny because they
0: don't have, when you buy yeah. ammo, they don't yeah. like, like when you buy ammo from federal, it's not like they're like
2: made from recycled materials. It's like no one even knows this. Yeah. That's yeah. where all that lead comes from. And then, and that's a, as we are driven, boy, good, good word usage here so far as we're driven into the battery age right now, that's something that was a big topic of conversation, but all of a sudden isn't, is okay, well, where's the copper coming from?
0: That's what I'm getting to. But he says, so in the sport, you know, like non-toxic split shot for fishing, right? And he goes, but every time there's a big mine that comes up, who's the first people to bitch about it? Hunters and anglers. He doesn't say it by name, but he's probably speaking to the pebble mine
2: in the headwaters of Bristol Bay, right? Copper and gold. Or boundary waters. Boundary waters. Boundary right? waters copper mine pit, copper sulfide mine and we're like no 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 I but know. lead is bad and shoot copper but i tell you what <laughs> when we cross the border into mexico what's sitting right on the u.s mexico border in sonora don't know copper mines all that loud banging and explosions oh. and stuff that you hear those are all copper mines and as our buddy beto put it said beto what are they mining over there He said, copper, for batteries, for you. Oh, really? Yep. He says, how could, this is
0: the the person, the gentleman that wrote in, very well worded email. How could we possibly maintain any sort of consistency or credibility if we simultaneously took the stance of no new copper mines where I like to hunt and fish and everyone please use copper? I suggest that we cannot do both, at least as current bullet development technology stands. goes on to say, a second and equally important issue, he says, it always gets brushed aside or ignored, is the cost. The fact of the matter is most lead alternative ammunition, copper included, is expensive. And if demand suddenly jumped, it would become scarce and as a result, even more expensive. What would we accomplish then is to effectively sideline masses of hunters who either couldn't find or couldn't afford enough una- ammunition to sight in two or three rifles and have ammunition for their hunts. And he pulls as a hypothetical three-hunter household. One of the things that helped us get through a lead a, a switch from lead with non-toxic shot for waterfowl is we went to steel. Steel is abundant and still relatively cheap. It was attainable for your average hunter. Not the case with copper. He points out you're driving more of a situation where you have the haves go hunt, the have-nots don't. Says he still
2: loves the show. Well, I mean, it's all it's all all great points. Um, I, I don't the absolutism of uh, I, I think gets taken a little aggressively, but he was being an absolutist. You are driving. It's like, uh, well, no, we uh, had a good conversation on this very debatable topic of copper versus lead, and uh, many of us have switched over to copper. But there's, I don't believe anybody saying you must shoot this.
0: I I feel like I'm sort of fence sitting on the whole thing.
2: Well, I love it for for me. It's it's the Raptor thing like i do i have a soft heart when it comes to that like i'm like oh yeah if i can mitigate killing more animals like the i don't i don't want the bycatch dead animals that i don't get to consume mhm that are dying from secondary lead poisoning by shooting a copper bullet that that works for me um Yeah,
0: but that yeah, when you say I get it now, you're saying you're making a consumer choice. Yes, exactly. And and that's kind of like what the guest Chris Parrish. Chris Parrish was saying, he never came in and said, "I think they should outlaw X, Y, and Z right now." Yeah, saying as a consumer, you make
2: choices all the time. And there's a, I mean, you can still California is just like the the weird outlier example because I, you know, at recreational ranges, authorized ranges. Lead lead is still legal for recreational shooting at authorized ranges. I didn't know that. I, I believe. Um, but in every other state, you know, you, you're still go shoot recreational lead at your recreational range where it can then be recycled into more lead bullets, which is what all those ranges do. You know, periodically they harvest their berms and and are able to sell it um, which is part of those, those places, business plan. Um, and then, you know, when it tom- comes time to hunt, you can make that consumer choice of shooting a copper bullet, a handful of copper bullets to make sure you're zeroed. And then your, your copper bullets for, for the actual hunt, you know, um, when you get into the alternatives for shotgun shooting, uh, <laughs> you're, you can spend some You can spend a hell of a lot more money shooting bismuth than than you're gonna shoot copper bullets, even if you're doing a lot of big game hunting during the year. But steel's still the a very effective and less expensive alternative, non toxic alternative.
1: Okay, Danny, I'll set it up like this. I had because I've driven a lot of janky vehicles, right, and somebody at a parking lot came up to me and was harassing me about how much oil my vehicle was leaking and i i just you know i'm not gonna i'm not wasn't gonna make confrontation with him i was like yeah okay you know no big deal i gotta fix that but same with the lead right like where's lead come from comes from the earth right and so they're Same with oil, we're putting it back. You know, obviously I'm not dumping oil all over. Oh, come on. You're not putting it back into the earth. (laughs) You're putting it back. Like, what's your, I that's what I was going to say. What's your take on that? Like, so obviously I'm not dumping oil all over, right? But. You get a good rain on the grocery store parking
2: lot and you watch that slick start to form.
1: So obviously that goes like, that's bad, right? That just goes right to our water source. Um, But like with the lead, I was thinking about the lead. It comes from the earth obviously there's there's issues when it's getting processed or whatever maybe they're melting it down to make these bbs yeah there's that effect but as far as just taking lead and putting it back if i take rattlesnake poison yeah and just put it all over your food
0: am i uh putting it back into the earth yeah i mean good point yeah
1: i'm just you know no, I mean, it I mean, is, venom, sorry, venom. Yeah. I mean, you're making it sound like, you know, lead or arsenic. Makes- if I put arsenic all over your food, yeah. I'm saying,
2: put it back in the earth.
1: Yeah. You know,
2: no, I think, I think it's an appropriate line of thinking. Um, it's just, uh, these things came from, uh, places in the earth that probably were not necessarily <laughs> meant to. Yeah, come to the surface again. Like yeah. not
0: on your food. <laughs> yeah, they were in the earth, but not on your food. Uh, yeah, just throwing it out. Like that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, remember how I was saying I'm like I'm uh um I've been accused of being like a lead apologist, mm-hmm. and I've been accused of being anti-lead. But I'm like very much like just kind of like exploring the whole area, right? I'm exploring it. Another one that I can't, that people keep writing in about but I can't formulate an opinion on. I'm going to hit you with it, Cal. My home state. There's there's a... The Mitten. Yeah. There's a Michigan National Guard. In the Michigan's Upper Peninsula, they're looking to double the size of uh, Camp Grayling. Yep. A military base. And to double it, they need to like annex bunch of state-owned land that's currently open to public hunting and fishing people in the up are losing their you know long time who would stand to lose their long time sort of like ancestral hunting and fishing grounds
2: are pissed they're gonna if, lose if access. it happens yeah if it happens
0: they'll lose access they
2: they will i think it's very safe to say they will lose a certain amount of access mm-hmm it's and, ambiguous, though, and
0: I struggle with being. Um, I struggle with this one, and I'll tell you the two reasons why I struggle with it. Uh, I'm generally, uh, not generally. I'm like very supportive. I, I like. I like to live in a country with a very strong military. Okay, I'm very like. I'm not hawkish. Like I don't want to go invade countries for no reason. But I'm like hawkish in that I. I, I like want and support a powerful military. So there's that, right? Yeah. And there's the other one that I don't think it would lead to like if this was a how a giant housing project it leads to loss of habitat. But what they're talking about isn't leading to like a net loss of habitat. They want to use it for training and stuff in an area where it's not like they're not like destroying the ground from from a habitat perspective. Yeah. So it's hard to make an opinion about it.
2: Yeah, if it were a giant, you know, mega moguls housing development, I would be irate. I'd be like cuz there now it's like gone. And and we'll never come back.
0: But here it's like it's still like for future generations, that patch of ground is still going to be there
2: functioning as an ecosystem. It's still in play, just not open. As good, well, that's as, not true. Yep, right? Okay. It's it you are going to lose some access um and in this it's a perfect conversation point to go with the the lead you know well but it's recycled type of thing because it's like have your cake and eat it too um you want a big strong military but you don't want the military to have all the space to train um and i I truly don't know the ins and outs of what they actually need versus how much they're annexing and all that stuff but they do need a lot of space and they're and? only
0: closing it, yeah, because they're only yeah. closing it when they need it for training. So no one knows how yes. much that'll be. And game management still stays under Michigan DNR.
2: Yes, and if you look at other military bases where the public's allowed to hunt, um, there's a lot of those examples with lots of big, you know, big deer, turkeys, bears, all that fun stuff. Um, and and life kind of goes on, but it's not going to go on in the same way that you have it now right it's there's um, you know lots of examples of like oh it's uh surprise training day we got to shut the whole base down and folks are traveling from out of state intent on hunting where they've always hunted and you know it's like um, the Griswold family vacation sorry folks parks closed <laughs> how do you how do you close the entire state of California um so yeah it's a tricky situation um I, I if it were happening in Montana, I would not want it to happen because I'm like, well, I don't want to lose any weekends, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's kind of a not in my backyard type of thing. State of Hawaii has got a lot, of, a lot of history with the military.
4: There is, yeah. And a lot of the land is owned by military.
2: Yeah, yeah. The first time we came out here to hunt, we got to hunt on this really cool place on Maui. And uh guy's just a big rancher, cattle rancher. And uh you're walking around all there's shell fragments and, and uh fifty caliber casings all over the place, big chunks of lead laying out there. And then uh the first day uh the rancher was like, Well yeah, did you see the crash plane out there too? <laughs> it's like no, but then the second day there, here's this giant engine. Laying out in the middle of this this field that we came through, and chunks of plane parts and all this stuff, and and he, you could tell there's more to his story about how he felt about all that, but it w- was not good. It's like the U.S. military just comes over here and just blows mm-hmm. the crap out of our islands. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, you know, times
0: change too. Uh, th- in the UP thing for you folks in the UP, writing us about this too uh they're describing what they're going to be doing as low impact exercises.
2: Right. And and it is interesting because they need like uh cyber warfare is one of the reasons for the expansion and apparently they need like a big buffer uh from civilization to run whatever it is they do with cyber warfare. Got it. Um which ideally doesn't sound like super impactful to the wildlife habitat environment etc uh and hopefully won't be closed down too much during hunting season if if it does in fact happen the other rub is that it's not like a standard lease with the state so there's no lease fee that's coming from the government to the state lands which i thought was was interesting hmm. oh cal's like subject matter expert
0: Plus a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twchealth eater. but you got to use the promo code meeater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at TWC.health slash meat eater. and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit us at o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. That's o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. Hey, man! After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch.
2: upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speeds lower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
0: Which you guys is best, Danny and and Kimmy, which you guys is best equipped to tell the story of the person that, uh, unless you don't want to, the person that lost their life in the harbor here from a swordfish?
4: You probably know it better, Danny.
1: Yeah, I know his, uh, not his nephew, but cousin, or I don't know how they're related. It's a big family. Um, from my understanding, a swordfish swam into the to the harbor, and we get that, like, you know, paddling down at Keohor or whatever, you'd see marlins come into the harbor down there randomly, or there would be big ahi. I don't know. they just lose their way or get curious. Either way, swordfish finds its way into the harbor. From my understanding, they seen it from the surface and they're like, hey, right there, like, what? Look at this, how rare is that? I'm gonna get in there and I'm a spear it. So he got a spear gun out, speared it, and you know, from my understanding, you know how you have your shoot line Mm -hmm. and it spears the fish and that shoot line's attached to either a float line or to his gun. Well, that thing went and wrapped around a mooring ball. So then that thing was stuck around a mooring ball and just swimming there. And you're thinking like, oh man, it's going to rip off. Or I got to get in there and I got to kill it. So w- while he was getting in there to try get it, the thing poked him where it shouldn't have poked him. Yeah,
2: and, big powerful fish with a sword on its face.
1: Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you've seen those like broadbill, the, the swordfish. They're real flat bill, not like the marlin bill we were sharp. looking at. Yeah, and it's super sharp. And uh he got poked in the chest and, and that was that oh so just in the in the in the excitement of probably trying to get that fish and i think we all kind of get into that state too of like when something's like that happening you're not you're just trying to go off instinct and just like there's a lot going on and he probably just thought he had it he's gonna make it happen um but yeah it's sad i, I bring that up because
0: we were looking at a story um this is covered by the guardian which is funny because it's a European rag that loves American wildlife attack stories. But a woman uh in Florida was recently gored by a hundred pound sailfish they were had on. They were fighting the fish. The fish charged the boat. She's standing by the she's standing up by the wheel, in the wheelhouse, by the wheelhouse. The fish charged the boat, jumped out of the water,
1: and impaled her. She survived, though. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. Like you, when we saw that marlin get hooked up next to Jonah's boat, you seen how the thing was on the surface like that. That's how they are when you bring them up to the boat too. And they're jumping right next to the boat. I've seen a bunch of video of them. I've had them jump next to the boat and never turn towards the boat. But it's very nerve-wracking when you got one that's real, we call it green, but still a lot of life left in it. You know how it is leadering those fish. Well, here you are, this marlin's got its bill facing you you know, coming in towards you and you're leading the business business end. you're trying to get it closer and closer and you're trying to bring that head up where you can get a gaff in it or unhook it, whatever you're doing with it. And, um, if they want, they just give it that little bit of a, you know, shake with their tail and they're out of the water like that. You know, I've seen video of it. So, um, it could be exciting. Yeah. And they got that pokey thing. I mean, you've seen that, I guess that Marlin bill too, has a bunch of bacteria on it because I've heard like you get you get poked by one, you better get that thing cleaned out.
0: Yeah, those marlin bills are are impressive, even in yeah. dried out state. I was saying that most time you take like a fish part and dry it all out, it like loses its integrity. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean everything gets like crumbly and it, they, they they kind of decay?
1: Yeah, but that thing is still like you could you could kill somebody with that thing. Well, they made weapons out of it. The Hawaiians had weapons. oh, they did. Yeah, yeah. Steve, would you uh, add?
2: That uh, scar from a uh, billfish to your list of bodily attributes that you want to acquire? Mm, not top of mine. No. No, not like a <laughs>
0: shark biting a grizzly mauling. Um, 68 miles an hour. Report, is... Like Reputed to be the fastest fish in the ocean, which I thought was the short fin mako. But they're saying these suckers can go 68 miles per hour. A Sailfish?
1: Not crazy sure that. that's fast And then uh, they got that big sail too and they just flip that thing up and it can parachute them around and stop on a dime that it was funny reading about that
0: that injury and the injury you're talking about is we have coming up here we have an expert uh who's uh, an expert archaeologist who studies the coronado expedition so coronado was a spanish conquistador and he had this crazy ass adventure where they left New Spain, so they left Mexico. And this is in 1540. And Coronado made it all the way up into Kansas in 1540. So he made it all up, all the way up into the Great Plains of Kansas in 1540. And what's funny is, if you separate. Here's here's one of the main things I think about interesting about Coronado. The distance that separates Coronado's visit to Kansas from Lewis and Clark's visit to the Great Plains is the amount of time that separates us sitting here right now from the French and Indian War. Crazy. You're like European history in the in the interior of the country runs 1540. Uh, so to bone up for this guest we're having on, I'm reading a book about Coronado and like the random ways people die. There's like one of his lieutenants, one of the his officers, they had some sheep with them, and they had a dog, they had a greyhound with them for some reason. The greyhound chases the sheep one day and the guy's pissed at the greyhound for harassing the sheep all the time and he rides after it on his horse and throws a lance to scare the dog off okay the lance sticks in the ground the horse runs and the the handle of the lance enters his groin and punctures his bladder and he dies some days later holy smokes
2: you know i was I had a, a thought as to we always like to think back on on these times of like oh god how crazy would it have been to be on that trip like all the unknowns and stuff but i bet at that time they'd be just like us being like oh we have we have gps we have a track we have all this stuff and at that time they were like we have a sextant we have a map <laughs> Like, we have the best technology out there. We're, we're better than anybody in the past has ever been. Like, high confidence, you we'll know?
0: G- we'll get into this. There's a guy, there's a, a Native American who celebrated among his people for having led the Coronado expedition on a wild goose chase. Where he said, oh, no, man, there's this amazing, like, city of gold. And led them away from where they were harassing his people this is one telling we'll get into all this when we got the coronado the Coronado expert on when coronado gets up in into kansas and they're like this guy's full of it they execute him for having fed him false information uh it's just like here's the other thing i'll say about the coronado expedition like if you want to get a sense of like where they're at mentally One of the guys on the expedition has a dream in which he kills his commander. He he dreams that he kills Coronado and marries Coronado's wife. He comes and confesses to Coronado that he had this dream. Coronado doesn't punish him, but he's not allowed to continue on the expedition because they need to protect the mission.
2: I like... like (laughs) I like it. It's just so like you know what I mean. Well, how about the mental state too? It's like, yeah, we're an invading army. We're we're stealing from your people. We're giving you uh, communicable diseases. This isn't pleasant. But how dare you lie to us?
0: Yeah. Well, no, because they're in, in their take. Their take on it was this: they were baffled when people didn't go along with the program. Their take on it is, your worries are over. They're kind of like the mob. When it, when they would approach tribe, like your worries are over. Um, you now live under the jurisdiction of Spain, but no one will ever mess with you ever again. And it's not take it. Or, it's, it's take it or leave. It's like yeah, no one yeah, will ever mess with you again. And if us. you don't agree, we will mess with you. But that's the selling point. Right. Your, your concerns are over.
2: In order for you to say thank you, we'd yep. like you to do X, Y, and Z. I'm here to
0: bestow upon you a great gift. Oh, you got to become Christian. That's, that's, yeah. Here's the deal. No one will ever mess with you again. Any enemies you have, forget that they exist. That is uh, the mob, yeah. You become Christian, y- your problems are through. And they'd be like, why will these people not get on board? Like, look what we're giving them. More to come. This shit's fascinating, man.
2: Oh, I bet.
0: And they did it all in a bronze hat. <laughs> it's such a, like. Uh, a fishing guide writes in. Always wanted to become a fishing guide. Becomes a fishing guide. He's an, he guides alligator gar in Houston, Texas. But he has a problem of finding dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> they recently found two. He found one, and his buddy found one. Uh, Dead bodies bound up inside recycling bins, dumped in in the marsh. He contacts the police to be like, dude, this is kind of stressing me out. And they tell him, I wouldn't worry about it. It seems like they were killed somewhere else and just dumped there.
2: That's uh, almost like a modern art type of thing.
0: He's like, where do I draw the line?
2: Put a put a body inside a recycling bin.
1: <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. If, what if you come across this guy dumping these recycling bins? That's what he's getting at. Exactly. Like now he's like, I don't want to quit.
0: This has always been my dream, but yeah. like, how do you like it's hard to work in this environment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he cites a bunch of other, like just the proximity to crime mm. when you're guiding there. Last one. I was talking about we, we were talking about the carp. The um Asiatic carp species that have joined the European invasive carp in certain watersheds. So you we've always we've had common carp here since know, 1800s all over. One of the primary. I don't know. Do you guys have do you guys have common carp in your waterways mm, in Hawaii? Not really. Okay. Neither does Alaska. Uh, it's one of the top invasive species in the country is common carp, and then and recent decades it's been going on forever now uh big head silver what else
2: yeah the, the silver is like the asian carp mm-hmm. but the, the so big, is the big head right yeah. they are yeah but they're two different species here.
0: they these are like like a plankton feeding largely herbivorous carp species they brought them into the country to, to clean aquaculture facilities yeah so they'd use them at catfish farms and they turn these carp out And these carp living there, and they suck the algae and stuff up, and help. But then, with flooding, they all get into the river system. Now it's this, yeah, whole ecological disaster. We covered that, and I shared what I shared the sentiment of a biologist who said to me, "I don't see a way out of this, if it's not a biological, if it's not a disease solution." But there seems to be limited appetite for introducing a virus.
2: Where they've been able to eradicate <laughs> fish species and like connected bodies of water, it's typically like a three-pronged approach where they use some uh, mechanical deterrence against the species uh, during their, their spawning season. So they prevent them from going to where they, they need to go to spawn, you know, their preferred spawning areas. Um, then they use uh, poison and then other like mechanical. Like, like rotenone. Like, non- rotenone, yeah. Rotenone. Yep. yep. Um, but the social tolerances for all this stuff are are pretty low. And then, you know, there's also like significant like bycatch. And then in these areas that are like super oh, when infested, you, When you
0: rotenone a water system, everybody dies. Yeah. But they'll now and then do it. It's like, um, what was that? That thing in vietnam you got to burn uh, burn the village to save it they'll i remember like they've had breakouts of non-natives and they're like this three miles of river is getting cooked and phew, kill everything in a stretch of river just to get the culprit yeah right trusting that the, it'll recover over time you know
2: yeah yeah um so, yeah, it's a, and then there's the other mechanicals like traps, gill nets, stuff like that. But it's uh, and then rotenone is obviously like a water soluble, um, god, it comes a poison, from a South course. American root. Um, and so they, they have a bunch of models as to how much they can put in and then at what stages throughout the uh, water column or river system that it will dissipate for it to be like non-lethal. Um, because I think at a certain point, like fish can recover, but it it's suffocates fish, right? Is that how it works? Yeah. Did you see where me and Yanni went
0: with those, um, those dudes that used a different route? I can't remember the, it, the word they used for it sounded like Tabasco, but it wasn't Tabasco.
2: Yeah. But it's like, it,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's Tabasco sauce in there. It's like Barbasco they had a root. They had a plant, and they went and they poisoned the fish. But it just mostly killed them. And then they'd go shoot them with their bows. And then the effects would wear off. But while they were mostly dead, they'd be up gulping at the surface, and they'd just go out and shoot them all with their bows. And it was like a regular fish harvest method. And they'd go. They got the plant growing all around their house. Yeah. Or all around their village, you know.
4: I've done that in rural China, like with these Chinese ladies. um who would just go and they would um, like sing songs at a, a tribe and they would smash up this root, I forget what it was called, and then they would just put it upstream and it would temporarily, what they would say is make the fish go to sleep, you mm-hmm. know? And all the fish would float and we would just go catch them with their nets before they'd wake up and then you'd see them waking up and swimming off.
0: What these guys would do to, to add, to improve it is they'd be in side channels And the first thing they'd do is build rock walls to slow the current down, poison the side channel, shoot what they wanted, and then open up the barricade to let clean water flush through to, to help resuscitate the fish they didn't want. Either way, long story short, Australia is poised to do what I said there's little appetite to do. They are considering, the Australian government is considering using a type of herpes virus as a biological agent to reduce the population of carp.
2: Yeah, carp herpes is a thing, um, and we recently had a breakout here in the in the U.S., which is really interesting. They think it came from domestic uh, goldfish being released into waterways. Let that be a uh, notice for you, parents. Just just say no when your kid wants that. Old nasty goldfish swimming around in the plastic bag at the fair this summer.
1: Goldfish brought herpes in. That's the theory. Yeah. Or flush it down the toilet like we used to. <laughs>
0: yeah. <sighs> Not that. That's the smartest thing do. to do. Rather than turn it loose in your waterway. Or just
1: eat it. Yeah. Do that. Well, it's, well, got, her- it's got herpes. So let's eat it. You yeah, don't want to do that, though.
2: When you're burying your next coffee plant, throw a few yeah. goldfish in the bottom of it. And- yeah.
0: Uh, where do we start? Tell me your fa- like. What was your favorite thing of the days that we spent fishing together, Kimmy?
4: I already have my. Um, oh gosh, well I, that was just of the one day. I had four highlights of our whole little f- diving trip we just had. There'd be a lot of highlights, and do you want me to say them? I feel like Hit a, me okay. With the four. Yeah. It would definitely be you getting your first mahi.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, That was a for sure highlight because that mahi was being really tricky at first. Nice big bull mahi got me so excited to see it there. I haven't seen one like that big in a while. They've been showing up small lately. And so to see that and have it be such a tricky fish. I mean, I feel like you should just tell a story now.
0: You got to tell it because he was. He was being a pain in the ass.
4: So basically, um, first time blue water diving for you, right? Mm. Not really. Anyway, I, 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 we jump I, we, in. We did
0: like what I guess, board, like borderline that okay. for about an hour one time. Okay, <laughs> it was like a little detour around an on otherwise, and nothing happened.
4: Well, we jump in at a buoy, um, a fad, and I, I immediately see this big bull mahi, and um, and nothing I can. Do like, we'll bring this mahi into us. Remember, I was like throwing the flasher, throwing fish, and it was just staying on the outskirts. Yeah, right? Kimmy
0: keeps a fish tucked in her sleeve. Yeah. What kind of fish was that?
4: That was an acule, a, a scad mackerel, I believe. But She keeps it tucked fish. in
0: her sleeve. And then you'll look, like, when you're on the surface. So, I mean, you're in, at that point in time, we're in
4: 15,000 feet of water. Yeah.
0: So, you, like, but all these pelagics are like, I mean, that fish was almost like, like at the surface. Yes. I mean, inches below the surface. Yes. Where you got to go down to almost look over and see him, but yeah. keeps that fish. And then you see a fish way off. And one trick is to come up and literally throw the fish like a baseball to try to land it over yonder and get its attention.
4: Totally. And And he
0: wasn't falling for that. And
4: he would pay attention. I would get the attention with the splash, and he'd kind of turn and look at it, but he was not interested, not committing, and so that was a bummer. Um, But we decided to do another drift, you know, get in at the same—we drifted past the buoy. We decided to do it again anyway. And this time, as we're setting up, we just see these huge pilot whales everywhere, which um, are pretty— impressive intimidating apex predators of the ocean that just love to gobble up mahis and tuna and have big old teeth and i you know i was like you guys still want to get in and everyone still wanted to get in so we did
0: because um, there's a famous story where one grabbed uh, they like they grab people now and then
4: oh yeah yeah people have died because of pilot whales pulling them under and toying with them for sure hmm. um but when we get in, as soon as we jumped in, um, you didn't see it, but I looked at the buoy from far, far away, and I could see that same bull mahi. And this time, he was doing super duper tight circles around that buoy. And I just like was like, oh, he's really scared because there's all these pilot whales all over, and um, and so he's just trying to find like, shelter.
0: He's wrapped around he, the buoy. Totally. <laughs> it's and
4: like, It was
0: was amazing. Like he was like like glued to it in a circle.
4: Totally, like just conforming his whole body around this buoy. And um, and at the time, you just took a nice, graceful dive to check out what was below you. But I saw him so far away. As soon as you even just dipped under, he did his last circle and left. And I was just like, "Shoot, he's still going to be hard to get," you know. Um, but I, I turned to Justin, um, and I said, I said. You know, I just saw this buoy doing these tight circles. I think it's scared of pilot whales. And I think it's so scared that if we ever dive, we're not going to have a chance. But maybe if we could just float, if he ever comes back, if he ever comes back and does that again, if we just kind of float up to it, maybe we can get it. And Justin's like, oh, yeah, okay. Later, he told me he just was thinking, like, that will never work. Um, But anyway... Steve, we see some onos, we see some other things, um, but there's not really too much going on. We're not getting close to anything. And maybe after like 10 or 15 minutes, I just saw the mahi coming back. And so I just grabbed Steve and I just said that that mahi going to go straight to the buoy it's going to start doing these circles around the buoy. You cannot dive, but you have to somehow get to that buoy. I'm going to stay back. I don't want too much pressure on it. But when you go there, you just have to stay on the surface. You have to drift. You're like driftwood. You know, you are not a hunter. You are not a pilot whale. You are just a piece of wood drifting. See how close you can drift to this mahi and then shoot it from the surface. Don't go under and just shoot it. And, um, and to just stay back and watch in such such high anticipation as you and Justin, who is filming right behind you, just it was like watching a cartoon of you guys just like dun, 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 just like drifting in, kicking whenever the mahi turned away from you, not kicking when he was facing you, and just that gap that you closed so patiently, so slowly, um, and then just watching you shoot that mahi that was by far like a huge highlight.
0: That was one. Of that them. was so cool. That was a highlight for me and and uh, generous of you because I realized, like, uh, I don't notice that. I don't notice things that good yet.
4: Well, it's going to take like, time. You guys
0: are always like, oh, there's that, there's that, there's that. Yeah. I never get to be the one that's like, hey.
4: Well, it's not true that you never get to be light. the one because my next highlight would be you getting your first Ono, like this is just incredible that you got your first Mahi and your first Ono on this trip, but you getting your first Ono, that was something that you did 100% on your own. Like I might've put a backup shot in it, but you you saw it on your own. I wasn't, I didn't even see it. You know, you saw it. I was watching Cal, I was watching you down underwater trying to take a shot on a little tuna. And I was so fixated on you that I didn't see these Onos swimming. Steve saw them, immediately did his thing, went after one and shot one. Um, and, And yeah, I just remember looking down and when you came back up, more tuna came in. So I was saying, you know, dive, Steve, dive. And I looked up and had no idea where you were. You weren't anywhere. I kind of panicked and it felt afraid that I lost you it was um, a little
2: sharky that day
4: it was very sharky and it's just you know I just always try to count my duckies and keep you guys all in order <laughs> and when, when one goes missing it really freaked me out mama
2: duck goes on high alert uh, yeah
4: um but uh Danny was on the boat thank goodness keeping an eye on everybody and just was like Steve's here and he's on and to swim over and see that you shot an Ono, like that was crazy you did Most it all cool. on your own
1: that was great, that and was the not amazing. easy fish to shoot.
4: No, it's not like that's huge. I just and all like...
2: those wahoo for yes. those views.
4: That was awesome.
2: Oh yeah, I was, I was pumped too. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, coming, it was a goat rope from the way outside coming in, sharks and running line all over the place and all the stuff, and I, I just, I couldn't fathom that that thing made it to you whole oh yeah i know kimmy, kimmy shot one
0: and man it happened fast she yeah, shot one. these did. are big fish i don't know like i don't know, like 40 inches maybe more than that
2: yeah it was the I,
4: same size as your oh no when and the I way it a, just
0: like
1: shot one and it half of it just vanished in that thing's mouth yeah we had the shark next to us and that shark just beelined straight to you guys and right there i knew like oh man, they got some action or something's going on. So I pick my head up and look and sure enough, you guys are fighting a fish and that yeah. shark just came over because there's no way from where we were, that shark could not see what you guys were doing.
2: The visibility of this trip was was absolutely st- staggering. It's, you it's could good see for as far, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. as I've ever been able to see in the ocean. It's good, but we were we were way far.
1: outside of visibility range. So that shark felt something. Oh yeah. As soon as she shot that fish, that shark was like, Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. He was like chilled down, you know,
2: like lower right-hand corner of the visibility spectrum. And then all of a sudden he just goes.
4: Yeah. I mean, they have those lateral lines designed to just pick up vibrations of a fish in distress. And so when I shot my Ono and and it started doing its, you know, dying thing, um, that shark just closed that gap in a matter of seconds. And I always have theories of what, what to do to, Save your fish from getting eaten by a shark, but there are some times like that where there's just nothing you can do. He just committed right away and just gobbled that thing. Well, we I mean, we got we got a third of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which
2: yeah, is a win. But still right? a like, good amount of sashi
4: me.
0: Uh these are oceanic white tip sharks. Yeah. And I know you still got more highlights to go, but I want to tell you one of my highlights is they travel with or these they have pilot fish.
4: <laughs> yeah. Which travel with them. <laughs> they do.
0: It's like a blue striped fish. Real I mean, pretty. Yeah, 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 go look at shark photos. You'll see the pilot fish hanging out with them. And we got to talk about the table, like what, whether they, they look like tasty little fish. They look b- very edible.
4: I never and thought Kimmy, of it that way until Steve said, "What's a pilot fish taste like?" Took a
0: three-prong spear and sh- shot. It was like person walking a dog, and she picked off his pilot fish.
2: His pomeranian. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She picked off the shark's pilot fish, and I didn't know if the shark would be mad and then want to get you for having gotten his pilot fish. But he had two, and he didn't seem to care. He
4: didn't seem to care. I he wasn't sure yeah. He shed zero tears. He Yeah, zero
0: tears. No, for his when, pilot when you fish. said that, when
4: you said, "What does a pilot fish taste like?" and I said, "I don't know." We both just looked at it and we're like, "That thing looks so tasty. <laughs> like, let's see if we can get it.
2: it." It is a weird thing to to say that. Like you're impressed by how a shark can move in the water. It's like, well, no, no shit. But Ugh. to witness it, and in, in a bunch of different scenarios, like they can just do whatever they want, even when you're surrounded by like very graceful, capable people in the water. Like, oh, totally. It's they're they're designed different. for it. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. If they want, if they want you, you're getting it. You know what I mean? Like that's why, I like, not one of those. Sharks want to get after us because if they did, you'd know it, you know, as much as we bump them off and stuff like there'd be almost nothing you could do. Like, if he really got serious about it,
0: pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit, you match your symptoms to the doctor recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit. All right. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you gotta use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. For all things auto, do it yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit us at o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. That's o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from Youth Turkey Season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at Youth Turkey Season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at Youth Turkey Season. liquidiv.com and you use code meat eater at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop better hydration today using promo code meat eater at liquidiv.com. I know you got more, you want highlights, but I just want to have an observation. Uh you hear so much about um human impacts in the ocean and like ghost nets. So a ghost that would be like a, like or ghost traps, like abandoned fishing equipment. Yeah. It continues to function. Um, Where we trap crabs and shrimp in Alaska, for instance, you have to rig your traps where there's basically a slit in the nylon mesh netting and you sew that slit up with cotton twine. And then the regulations specify the diameter, like the thickness of the twine. And meant to be that if you lose or abandon the trap, in short order, that cotton twine will degrade and the trap will cease to function. Because if not, shit gets in the trap. It dies. It baits in more stuff that comes into the trap. It dies. Like when you said a shrimp pot, and shrimp get in there, and then the octopus gets in there, and then like you, it just continues to kill shit. So we go up to a buoy, and there is a hunk of look like car, not fishing net. It looked like a hunk of cargo netting. Yeah. It. Like a hunk of cargo net hung up on the buoy chain, and in the hunk of cargo net is the is a big rainbow runner gill netted on it totally still Still alive alive. the weirdest thing like when I saw it I I, like I ran through all these like what like did someone store it there like (laughs) like I couldn't understand just like alive in the net he got he somehow jammed his head into a scrap no bigger than a half bed sheet of cargo netting hanging off a buoy chain and he
1: tried to swim through it then so there was that well, I feel like that might have happened somewhat because you think that shark would have got after it right like, that's, what that's, we that's the second thinking. thing I thought I like, is why like did the shark not eat stuck, why did know? the shark not eat the fish that stuck in the net? It was like it yeah. just happened.
0: Then we saw two sharks carrying big leaders with hooks. I saw a tuna carrying a leader with a hook and then we saw another shark that had gotten himself tangled up in a hunk of rope. Where he was like lasso'ed by a hunk of rope that was had seven feet of barnacle encrusted rope hanging off of it, cutting into his skin. One of the camera guys grabbed the rope and tried to saw the rope off. But as soon as you'd grab the rope, he had all that open wound. And as soon as that was the only thing that you could poke that shark in the nose all day long, it wouldn't bother him. The one thing that bothered that shark is when you grabbed that rope. Yeah. And then he'd <laughs> take off and you couldn't get the rope cut off
2: him. Yeah, the rope An was around wound. this shark Like uh Literally like a uh, bucking bull at the fair, mm-hmm. right? Like so, it, it's perfectly like midsection, just ahead of the dorsal fin, with the tag end coming off. Like somebody was going to straddle the shark behind the dorsal and hang on to that thing.
0: You'll absolutely see yeah. that shark in the show.
2: I would, I would hope. It yeah. almost
0: looked like like it that beautiful big shark trailing that rope, and it was so symmetrical the way it was around him and just laid on him and had all that stuff grown on it. It almost was like, it was like artistic. It yeah. looked
4: like um, a, a little shark wearing a scarf.
0: Yeah. yeah. It like had like an artistic quality. Yeah. If you could, if you could arrest it from everything, it was like this kind of like beautiful thing of him coming up through the water column, trailing that heavy frayed. But how in the world did he get that on him? I, I so badly wanted to cut that thing off just to be like, oh, cut that thing off.
2: What What <laughs> is a rainbow runner?
4: kamanu is the hawaiian word um
2: is it part of a
4: i would guess it's a part of the mackerel family would be my guess but i don't know yeah i was thinking of mackerel
1: or jack but i don't know i would guess mackerel yeah i don't know but they look real similar to the like i mean not exactly like the yellowtail but in california but they have similar things to them you know yeah a little bit more slender a little bit more sleek but yeah got that bright orange tail or bright yellow tail and when you uh consider like
2: the the vastness of the ocean and obviously like those buoys do attract life and that's why folks go out there and fish but like a jack to come across this rainbow runner which is a jack stuck in that cargo net in in a place where the, the sharks were looking to eat food so yeah i would go with the theory that it just happened but like what are the odds of like In this giant blue pond, bottomless pond, to come across something that just happened on the day that you just happened to be there Mm -hmm. is bizarre to me just weird how stuff happens
4: it was a score i was just like i saw steve trying to get it free and i'm like well stick a stick a knife in his brain first like so yeah so i get him out there it, and he right. wiggles away yeah, yeah i wasn't sure if you were trying to free him or what but it's a good eating fish
0: no i used the word rescue but that wasn't quite the word yeah that for was it. funny
4: later when it was dead and i was <laughs> I about salvaged. to fillet it you're like look at the one we rescued <laughs> i was like kind
0: of <laughs> yeah Okay, hit me with another highlight.
4: Next highlight was when the crew started fishing and Seth hooked into a tuna, was cranking it up like a champ, and you weren't giving the gaff up because um, Sam was pr- cranking up a tuna on the other side, and so you needed it for her. But our fish was boatside already, and we needed a gaff. And um, and I just found this little baby gaff, this little handheld like hook yeah, f- thing. Yeah,
0: 14-incher. Like a little cap and hook hook.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Not even fourteen incher. Um, and I got oh, was it a
2: metal one? Yeah. Okay. I didn't see yeah. That. yeah. And
4: just just got to stick it with that and help get it in the boat. That was really exciting. Like I I just um started jumping up and down and clapping.
3: Yeah, I was like frantically uh, looking for a gaff, and I turned around.
2: And the fish is in the boat. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh great. There we hit the tuna? Like. It was like, well, anybody can catch tuna type of timing, right? Yeah. It was like bait goes in the water. You wait a minute, 30 seconds. <laughs> Start cranking.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that was pretty rare for it to be like that. And amazing for you guys to see that, the way they're jumping out of the water too like that was so fun. Oh. Gaffing tuna is stressful. So it is. Just pe- so you guys got yeah. a long leader. Yes.
0: And you, and you reel up and eventually get where the leader hits the rod tip. So yes. you can't reel anymore. And then someone puts on gloves or not and starts wrapping her hand around that leader and, and bringing the fish up and danny's telling me like i'll tell you when to gaff it so i'm thinking he's gonna say gaff it when it's like <laughs> you know tuckered out like laying at the surface dragging along the side of the boat and he's you can look down and he's down cutting big cookies yeah big <laughs> circles and i'm like just chilling thinking like eventually it'll be up here and it'll be like placid you know and i'll hook it in the boat and i'm not even kind of ready and that thing's going. Zr, zr, zr. He's like, now. I'm like, oh, I didn't know he meant like that. <laughs> yeah. But you sink that gaff and it pulled up. But then we were with a dude named Jonah, who fishes tuna commercially. And I don't know. If you, I'm sure you've seen this move. He gets yeah. him on the leader and just has a baseball bat. Yeah. And not even gaffed it.
1: Gets it up and
0: Twang.
1: Yeah. If you can see, you she- just cold cock and it stuns it yeah as they're coming up you can look at where the hook is so if you know you got a good hook placement you got some time you know but yeah just yeah thwrap. put them to sleep
0: it, it th- those fish respond to a blower to the head like you wish other fish would yeah i mean a blower to the head on one of those is like dunzo
1: yeah i feel like it's a bigger fish too and we're using pretty big bats like they don't, you know, move much when you hit them. You hit yeah. something small, and they kind of go with the flow. This thing's got some mass behind it. Yeah.
2: The uh, efficiencies between uh, recreational technique and commercial technique, there's there's some big differences there. Like, Jonah's on the side of the boat. He's uh, cranking the thing up, grabbing the leader, bat, whack, gaff <laughs> in the boat, like. <laughs> On to the next one. would, And
0: we're over making videos
2: and, <laughs> and hooting and
0: hollering. Get a picture.
3: Oh, my God. <laughs> he would, like, whack it with the bat and reach down in his gills, pull all that stuff out with his hand, <laughs> and then pull it in the boat. And like, And we're, like, over there trying to cut it out real nice with knives and
0: whatnot. And- That's one dude I would not want to get punched by, man. What do you guys call a sucker punch in Hawaii? False, False crack. Cry. <laughs> yeah, would not want to A get false, false crack. cracked by them, man. Yeah, false crack medevac. That's right. <laughs> yeah, one crack medevac. One crack. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> how many more? You got one more highlight?
4: Um, I guess my my the next Mahi, highlight would ono. just be um seeing that beautiful ecosystem of everything from bait fish to mahis and onos and shark all underneath just that floating barrel we found. So, so not. You know, the expected, not the state buoy, but we just came across like a piece of trash, basically, um, a white plastic floating barrel that didn't even look like it had been in the ocean that long. It didn't have that much growth on it. But the minute you get in the water, it's just crazy what a universe is around it. That was exciting.
0: Someone brought up the the obvious point that can't be ignored. Who was it that said something about, you know, everything plastics in the ocean, plastics in the ocean? I think he brought it up. Seth
2: brought it up, I and they
0: jump in under a plastic barrel, <laughs> floating in the ocean. And holy shit! <laughs> yeah, right.
2: And also you're so like, well, new. how could this be bad?
0: Yeah, it's like, what this ocean needs
3: is more plastic barrels. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, so, Steve yeah. made this comment about these sharks being such jerks, and he's like, they they don't learn. They repeatedly do the same things, and like one thing that was real interesting shark behavior was we we observed these white tips biting Danny's flashers, which is, like, understandable. They're meant to attract fish, but the same shark would hit it, have a very negative reaction. Like... Irritated. Like, irritated, did not like it. Visibly did not like it. Body language, just like, yeah. Don't like that. 30 seconds later, (laughs) he'd come back and try it again, you know? And uh, so Steve was like, yeah, they're like high school jerks that stuck around town
0: and still bully the, well, plus and they, still, were, they, were they hang out outside us. the yeah. campus and bully and bully the high schoolers yeah. <laughs> and
4: Steve was just like God like why didn't these sharks just like leave the buoy and just go do something good with their lives instead they're just hanging out being bullies but yeah I do feel like that oceanic white tip under that plastic barrel that was the one that left and like did something with his life mm-hmm. and he was so he was nice cool and cool yeah
2: kimmy yeah. comes to the conclusion like this is it this is the opposite yeah. this is here's the the grown-up yeah. you yep. know
0: got sick of all the ass slapping and went and found his own little place and
2: <laughs> yeah and that i mean the sharks really really was a top highlight for me like watching all the different behavior. Watching, watching them move around and, and then being like, oh my gosh, really got to pay attention to these, the aggro ones. And But then also like some of the more beautiful things that I saw, the things that are stuck in my head are like the bait fish congregating around the sharks and then them just doing these big lazy circles and kind of like half spins through the sunlight and stuff was unbelievable. Like really, really amazing. And then like those pompano mahi yeah that that the the cool the laid back shark who's doing something with his life was swimming with like that was just an awesome scene to just sit and watch over and over again.
0: one of the things I appreciate about the the way the oceanic white tips move is you imagine most fish when they're like ascending or descending a water column a lot of times they'll do a movement that's almost like someone going up a spiral staircase right they keep their they keep their orientation relative to like the planet, right? Like his pectoral fins are down. And they'll climb and descend but stay basically upright. But the way those sharks, like they really are living in a three-dimensional space where when they're ascending the water column, they're perfectly vertical. Like they
1: climb perfectly vertically. And they're gliding, too, sometimes and you, just don't see,
0: like, you, know, you realize when you see it, you're like, not many fish do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, climb, yeah. like, like totally vertically. They're like, they're like a person going up a straight ladder. And it's like they're just divorced from, yeah. like, the normal mechanics of, of what you imagine, you know, how, how things move.
2: And I saw that vertical orientation was when they made up their mind to go from point A to point <laughs> B. Yeah, right? exactly. They're like, huh, what is that diver?
4: It's such a crazy thing. Like, I feel like the sharks just add, I mean, those, the bully sharks, like just add a whole nother like layer of kind of like stress in your mind, you know, that you have to kind of deal with because they sometimes will get a little aggressive or nippy at you And, um, and it just, it's one more thing that you have to like think about while trying to hunt as if like trying to hold your breath dive down and shoot a tuna isn't enough to think about like then you also have to like think about the sharks on your back and it's such a crazy and
2: literally on your back back. there were there were dives where you couldn't divorce the shark from like the outline of of the diver and so
4: you can't always just look straight ahead at your target because you always kind of have to be checking what the shark's doing and if if you have to poke it away or whatnot. And that just, it changes everything. It changes your movement. It changes everything, you know? And so it really is like this dance of um, trying not to care about the sharks to the point where you can hunt, but not turning that care off so much where you're complacent and going to get yourself in trouble. And it really is this weird, fine line, but it helps to have your buddies like all Mm. around you poking them off. And that's what... I think we all just had to have trust in. It's like, okay, I'm doing this dive, I'm after this fish, if there's a shark about to eat me, somebody's gonna poke it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's definite faith because we, we had situations where there were five divers, six divers in the, in the water, and everybody essentially in a, a circled wagon formation, poking at the same shark, who's yeah. like not getting the message that he's not wanted in the circle right <laughs> yeah it's, it's wild
1: yeah i know that first day you know steve had asked what he what i expect to see out there and instead of saying he's onos, you know my first thing was saying sharks and i kind of felt bad about that right because like i didn't want to put like any negative spin on it. i just knew that we were going to see them and that was going to be like a uh, obstacle to overcome just getting everybody comfortable with it and that was and i told you guys that like Hey, first day, first couple of dives, let's get in the water and just get comfortable, especially before we go to some of the spots we went to, because I knew there'd be more of them. Let's just get kind of an idea on how they move and stuff. And I mean, to to be able to relax through that for you guys is huge, because I've spent a ton of time with them. Kimmy spent a ton of time with them. I don't want to say it makes it easier, but it definitely makes it easier, you know, because I kind of know what to expect a little bit. And you you could always have that one. But regardless, for you guys not having that much time with, with that type of shark and everything, I felt like you got, you no, know. No, I totally, yeah. I
4: it took me like years, I feel like, to like get that comfortable with sharks, you know, like at first when sharks would come, I just wanted to leave the situation. Or if a shark took my fish, I was just like, we are not getting back in right here, you know, and, um, it just, it just took like repetition and years and whatnot until I was able to develop that comfort of like, okay, we can still hunt and bump elbows together. Um, but you guys are just doing it.
2: Well, I mean, a lot of your confidence comes from your compadres in in the water, right? It's like, well, these folks we're here because these folks know what they're doing and this is how they behave and it's i mean that's you got to ad- adapt that type of behavior pretty quick it's not like hmm, yeah. kimmy kimmy and danny don't know they don't seem to know what they're doing out here yeah with the with the local wildlife you know and
1: i try to keep like a reality check too because i i have friends that they get real complacent with it yeah so i always in the back of my head like hey that thing's the real deal you know totally. like i said if that thing wants you it's it's done so well, yeah.
2: look at the ono completely.
1: right the ono like that is a
2: stick of dense muscle and it was
4: <laughs> two, thir- like a paper of, two thirds of it was vaporized and just in that <laughs> shark's belly immediately like in seconds yeah
2: yeah oh. and there's a big spinal column that runs down the middle of it
0: i got one last thing i want to say about fishing um we were fighting in a tuna and the tuna was pretty played out it, it's got close to the boat and also just and I said oh he's running Her Dane's like that ain't him and it was because the shark yeah, yeah. like Sharks a shark had grabbed him and just headed for the depths with him and I was like oh and then pretty soon now yeah, Kimmy's about to say bit, bit the
2: line Kimmy's about to say I should have reeled faster but I was paying attention and I, I I don't know if there was anybody reeling faster on the boat for other fish. I mean, yeah, it was
1: just one of those. That, that was, was just,
4: a lot of work. Yeah, of it's fish. tiring though, right? Like
1: it's tiring. You know, it's just like yeah. when you're reeling that thing in, and it, it can be tiring. Oh yeah, absolutely.
2: But I mean, give me
1: Yeah, no, it, it was fast. I mean, that's it was sharp. to the boat
2: fast, that's, and
4: I yeah. think that was a nice fish.
1: Too. Yeah, that's I sharp. think it was. Ah, it's nice all fish. Good. Yeah. We we paid the we tax. Hey, fish. we paid the tax, man. Yeah, yeah, we paid our I taxes. Paid them twice. Yeah,
3: yeah. I'm just curious what that shark looked like to mm-hmm. be able to <laughs> haul off that haul that tuna. Yeah,
1: and like Steve said, what a meal. You know, if that oh, was a forty pounder, me, if that was a forty pounder, oh. that shark just yeah, Yeah, shark. What yeah. a meal.
2: I I will say the in regards to the white tips too. Right, it's like, you know, definitely like get your confidence and playbook from the the folks that you're swimming with but i i bet i picked up the silhouette of silhouette and outline of a white tip in my brain a lot faster than a lot of the prey species that we're after mm-hmm. like i oh, was yeah. i was like way out there i'm like oh i see you coming yeah like with the white tips <laughs> yeah
0: uh Danny i want to close with a question for you yes, now sir. uh We recently had a guest on, Seth Cantner, came on the show, and he um, grew up outside of and was raised in a sod hut, living off the land, and he was laughing about their perspective on caribou. You know, like in, in the native cultures and the way he was brought up, it'd be like, if someone gets a caribou, it's, was it fat? Right? Meaning all they're looking at is the rump. Yeah. And he said, and then folk like me are like was it big meaning antlers uh we're gonna spend the next few days bow hunting for feral sheep feral sheep in hawaii am i like what are your thoughts on the fact that i want to get like a lamb
1: i have no problem with that is that a normal desire yes
0: okay so i I don't know
1: i don't know if it's a normal desire because yeah there is that like for us, definitely for us, it is. yeah. Yeah, like that is for us, it's food, you know? Like a lot of the hunting I do, I'm not very picky. Even when I go elk hunting and stuff, um, I'm not very picky, obviously, right? Like if the opportunity's there, cool. But especially at home, we're not very picky. It's food, you know? We're looking at it as like, okay, there. this is gr- the grocery store. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, whatever you want to say, oh, that one's tender or whatever, sometimes you just don't want that much meat either, you know? So, so there's
0: no like um there's no stigma against
1: shooting a lamb like there would be if you targeted a spotted deer farm no and and i I can be a little picky with it like the okay. last the last time i shot a smaller one you know i'm looking like okay here's a female is it pregnant is it you know how old is it and they're like okay this is kind of like a yearling doesn't look pregnant like this is probably a good one i could shoot you know so there's a little bit of a thought process that goes behind it um but I got no problem with that.
4: I think it just really helps that um, there's such invasive species here in Hawaii. So whether you're going to shoot a little access fawn or whether you're going to shoot a little you know, lamb, like it is also like good for the forest that you're doing so. Um, it doesn't matter what size, right? Because it's just like taking one out is just like, one less of like a very overpopulated species.
2: Mm -hmm. Got it. I got a a couple days hunting with a mutual friend of of these guys, Sean uh, Hashizaki over on Maui. And we were walking back to the truck and we got into this like very nice, even, tall grass meadow. And when we started walking through there, there were Axis deer fawns. Like I, I am not exaggerating, like jackrabbit size. Mm. And they just start like popping out of the grass in front of us, popping, popping, popping. And I keep hearing Sean saying this word behind me, and I I'm kind of quasi paying attention. And then I finally turn to him, and he's like, "Tasty." <laughs> he's like, "It's tasty, it's tasty." And then I was like, "Oh, okay, got it." And
1: then I, I missed and didn't get. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. nobody thinks twice, right? Like they see lamb chops on the menu, nobody thinks twice. And it's sad that our our general population kinda is a little bit more disconnected from where, where their food comes from. But yeah, no one thinks twice about lamb chops on the on the menu.
2: Yeah, something we brought up, the age of domestic livestock at slaughter.
0: The one thing, and I regret it, that I shielded my kids from, um, not the one, I, mean, I shield them from all kinds of things when it comes to internet and whatever, but the one sort of like natural, um, food acquisition act right like like a like a a very human natural ancestral activity that i shielded my kids from and i regret it was slaughtering lambs um and i was like man i thought about it i had my buddy take him over to check out this little pond while they were slaughtering these lambs and then later i'm like man they they like why not yeah do you know what
4: i mean totally I think I read some, that yeah. in your book. For some reason it just like them. struck
0: me like like I should send them off. Then later I'm like, that was chicken shit.
4: I just shot a little RAM a few um like a week ago and I thought about that part in your book where you sent the kids off so they didn't have to see it. And I was like wondering if I was gonna traumatize Buddy by bringing back this dead animal ball, and, ball,
2: black sheep
4: yeah it's cute fluffy thing yeah. and then skinning it and taking it apart but i just went for it and it went great yeah yeah he helped me i mean yeah yeah
0: yeah people ask like what's the best time to introduce your kids to like animal death um i, I usually say like early enough or they don't where they never even realize you know what i mean yeah yeah like it's not like a day when all of a sudden it's just like it's just like a, a part of life and yeah why ever have like just have it be ingrained that that's like a thing that happens but yeah in that case i didn't and um yeah later
1: on kind of questioned my own judgment on it yeah when they're younger they don't know any better right like you don't know any better you could be raised and with something that's not within someone's other morals you know but you don't know any better so there's that time and then i know with my daughter you know i'd be i'd be bow hunting and stuff but i did try I just didn't want her to be grossed out by it because some of that stuff is stank, you know? Like, you're gutting something, and you're like, to me, it's even like, oh, this thing's so stank. So, like, as a little kid, you know they're going to be like, ew, gross. But I've taken her sheep hunting when she was kind of old enough to kind of understand what, but the goal was always just, hey, it's food. It's no big deal, you know? Like, that's it. I didn't try to make a big deal out of it. Like, I didn't sit there and try to explain the whole thing. I just kind of let it happen. And she knew that I would go hunting and she wouldn't be there when I clean it, but then we'd eat it. So she knew where it came from. Yep. Um, So then when, when it was the time for her to be there cleaning with it and actually the, the pig that I served you guys that first night, she helped me clean that thing too. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's just a normal part of life and it's either you teach them when they're young enough to where they don't know any better or you just make sure it's the right time. Cause I could see there being a the wrong time where, they get either grossed out by it or they're saddened by it, you know, it yeah. being a little lamb, and they just think of these little cartoon baby lambs or something, and you're killing them. But your daughter's got a great approach
0: to food, though, man. She cracked me up last night. She comes in, starts eating shrimp, eats about a half pound of raw tuna, starts eating cows, shovel their ducks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she's just like, like no, like no, even like sort of. Part of her brain that would be like, Ew. Yeah. She. The
2: impressive part of the ducks, too, you got to point out is like, Oh, this one's fishy. But then she came back and tried a different duck, well, which, I mean, for even adults is hard to do. Well, I to told her, to too,
0: the reason it's fishy as well is cow slathered in oyster sauce. <laughs> yeah. Well, she said, She thought <laughs> it tastes like oysters. I was like, yeah. Like Don't blame the duck, that's Callahan's yeah, v- giant
2: bottle Steve, of oyster sauce. Steve and I both went into uh, panic mode. It's like, oh no, don't imprint the duck is like this. This particular yeah, duck that's, is that's like... The, that's the oyster sauce <laughs> talking
1: right yeah. there, not yeah, the shoveler. Yeah. And we never, like when she was younger, my wife's a big part of this is that she never got any special meals. You know, whatever we're making, no matter how like obscure it was or weird flavors, she never got no mac cheese. She never got no chicken nuggets. None of that. You're either eating what we're eating for dinner or you're not eating. Dude, it, man, that's if I had one like that is my primary parenting
0: suggestion. Yeah. If I could be so audacious as to have parenting suggestions, it was hard, like, right? Don't fall into the trap of making separate shit at
1: yeah. dinner time. Yeah. And there is stuff like you gotta be, you gotta understand, like some everybody has their own personality. So some stuff she just doesn't like. Yeah. So it's like that's all good. Don't eat that, you know, it's no big deal. Try it, but you you don't have to eat it, you know. Light but, bite, that's what we call it. But yeah, she'll eat I mean, when she was younger she used eat raw onions. Huh. Just like piece of raw onions, whatever. She's a she's a has a good super good palate too. That's like awesome. you can give her something, she'll tell you what's in it and, Oh, buddy mine. This is good close, good way to close.
0: And you know Ben.
2: Oh, sorry, one more one more thing here. Uh Danny's daughter just had her twelfth birthday. And her great grandma rolls up to the house and, you know, like in your standard like birthday bag. And Zadie looks inside and she's just like, super excited, oh my gosh. Pulls out two mangoes. <laughs> two mangoes from grandma's tree for her 12th birthday. And she is just like, was overjoyed. That's, That's great. Awesome. Oh yeah, and I was just like, ah! I laugh about that
0: because my old man, was talking about like, Grown up real poor, and he would say that for Christmas he's like, you would get an apple or an orange, and it was a big deal. That's awesome. To get an apple or an orange, oh, perspective, right? Yeah. Like Especially perspective. an orange in December.
2: Not an orange uh, game station.
0: No, an an orange was a yeah. real treat in December. It'd be like, my goodness, what do they, what do they come up with next? Uh,
1: what was I gonna say? You were going to close with something um, that was going to be really compelling, and I'm not sure what it was. <sighs> Kids I eating. ruined it. Ben, yeah, ben your friend oh, Ben. Oh, your friend Ben, yeah. Writes in. He's been on the show. Ben Binion.
0: Um, uh, Texican. He's a land manager, commercial hog trapper. He fattens a pig every year from the family's table scraps. That's what he fattens it on. And we were talking about what a good idea that was, but then we talked about how it would change your attitude about waste. Because your kids would be like, Do I
2: really have to finish this?
0: And then you'd be like, Well, I could give it to that pig, fatten them up, and you'd become more permissive. So it's like a dangerous area to be in, man.
2: And I had brought up the fact that uh, my mom and stepdad, you know, big beef family, their appetites get keep getting smaller but their weekly giant steak stays the same size and the dogs keep getting fatter <laughs> I got you <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. alright boy thanks for joining stay tuned we'll fill you in on our on our uh, feral sheep hunt hunting livestock in Hawaii
1: <laughs> which is fun yeah Turn livestock into yeah they're pretty wild I mean they'll run from you just like any other animal Oh but yeah they're definitely yeah man
0: Yep. Anybody, that's, well, anybody she- that's met a feral pig knows that they figure it out. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. telling you what decked is a game changer decked has completely changed how i load organize my truck all my stuff that i want is always in there out of my way and secure it's perfect if you own a pickup truck that you use you know like a truck the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear you can lock it up too you keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to decked.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping.